0: you are listening to the simple living made simple podcast my name is stephanie and i'm a wife mother of four and the creator of the blog simple living made simple formerly winging it on the homestead i am far from an expert but i am learning and growing and figuring the simple living self-sufficiency thing out as i go I love to help encourage modern mothers to incorporate simple living and self-sufficiency skills and knowledge into their busy lives. Join me this season as I interview homesteading experts on a variety of timely and important topics and share with you my appreciation for creating a homemade and homegrown life through gardening, food preservation, cooking from scratch, making your own products, all while keeping it all practical, intentional, and realistic. In this episode, we are going to be talking all about making homemade cheese. For this episode, I am speaking with Robin, the creator of Cheese from Scratch, an online business that empowers and teaches milkmaids, as well as educates Homestead cheesemakers around the world. Robin and her husband, Homestead and Ranch in Northern British Columbia, where they raise their three young children and work to grow the bulk of their own food. This was a really fun conversation with Robin. We were able to discuss all things cheese making, um, getting super simple, breaking it all the way down so that even if you've never started making cheese at home, you can get started and you can understand the crazy process that is cheese making. So let's go ahead and jump right in.
1: All right, guys, welcome back to the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I am so excited for my guest today. Her name is Robin from Cheese from Scratch. And she is so awesome because she really just deep dives into the world of cheese making and makes it actually attainable and doable for the normal person. So thank you, Robin, for joining me. I'm so excited to have you. Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I love doing podcasts. They're my favorite, my favorite form of content. (laughs) Yeah, I love them too. I think they're just, easily consumable, you know, so a um, great way to get be making cheese and listening to a podcast. At the yeah. Same time. <laughs> That's awesome. So can you tell me a little bit about yourself, your home, your homestead, your business, why you chose to kind of dedicate your life to cheese? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's kind of accidental a little bit. So I grew up on a beef
2: cattle ranch. Um, I met my husband. He I'm from Canada, but he moved here from Wisconsin, which is the cheese state. Um, And so he moved in next door. We met, we married, we bought our own ranch. And um, in 2014, I came home from work. I'm actually a nurse, but I came home from work and there was a milk cow in the front of the pen. And he's like, look what I brought you. And uh, that kind of I just was flung into cheese making. um, And he's like, first, I would like you to make me string cheese. And then can you do this? And um, I didn't know anything. We had a a young baby at the time and um, I made lots of mistakes and I just eventually started liking it. And then I started loving it and then I turned it into a business. Um, So cheese from scratch.
1: Yeah. So you say it was kind of a gradual love of it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It
2: was definitely really confusing at first. I think it was really overwhelming because our daughter was um, our first, our oldest daughter was just a baby at the time. And um, I'd never milked a cow or anything. He did most of the milking in the first couple of years. um, And then I eventually took it on, but it was just like, it was really overwhelming at first. And I didn't know anybody that made cheese. Um, A lot of parts of the world, including Canada, like raw milk is really, um, a really controlled substance. And, um, I just always, like, I heard bad things about it. And so it just felt like I was doing something bad <laughs> and like, nobody, I had nobody to like troubleshoot off of and Everything, everything right. I learned was from books. So, um, yeah, it was definitely nerve wracking at first, but then I just, yeah, I did it so much and I started to love it and, um, yeah, here I am. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. I think it's probably, like I said, I don't know anything about cheese making. I would love to get into it, but I think making cheese and then make actually making it like a part of your daily, um, like diet and what is completely different, which is something that I like following you for.
2: Yeah, exactly. Like there's kind of, um, when I started, there's kind of like two types of cheesemakers. There's um, information out there for commercial cheesemakers, like a ton of information for commercial cheesemakers, and then a ton of information for like hobby cheesemakers, people who just want to, you know, make cheese. Like they've got some time on a Saturday afternoon, and they're gonna just like do this as a hobby. Um, but there's not a lot of information out there for people that have a milk cow and are like, I need to do all of the other things on my homestead, but I also need to make cheese. I need to have a way of preserving. The this milk because that's really what cheese making is. It's preserving milk. Um, and so, yeah, it was kind of cool to just come into, um, creating my business and be able there's some information out there, but being able to create content specifically for people that are working to try and fit it into their lifestyle on their homesteads.
1: Yeah. That's so cool. Um, so for those of us that are really new, can you give me like a simple, quick overview of like how cheese making like the process?
2: Yeah, I always struggle with this when people ask me, "Can how, does, how is cheese made? I like struggle to like rein yeah. myself in because I want to go deep dive in. <laughs> um, so basically milk is meant to make cheese. And that's what I tell all new cheese makers because cheese making is scary. It seems like a like a complex thing. But milk is meant to make cheese. It's meant to come out of the udder. It's meant to go in that little calf stomach or that little goat stomach where it's nice and warm and acidic. There's enzymes in that, the lining of that calf stomach um, that interact with the milk. And in that calf stomach, it's meant to turn into cheese. And the reason for this is that um, the calf wouldn't be able to digest all of the nutrients that that milk has to offer if it didn't first turn into cheese. So when you're looking at cheese making as a newbie and you are looking in from the outside and you see all of these different recipes and you see all of these different things, it's really helpful to look back and be like, OK, this is just a natural process. And me as a cheesemaker, I have to come in and just try and follow that natural process as best I can. Um, so all cheesemaking pretty much starts out the same where you've got your milk in the pot. You're warming it to a temperature that would it would naturally be. It would naturally be um, about like like 90 degrees seven or it actually naturally be about 72 degrees, but you're warming it to a temperature that it would be when it comes into the little calf stomach. And then when it gets in that little calf stomach, what happens is there's bacteria in there. It's nice and warm and acidic. And so that's what you do as cheese making. Sometimes you are adding in vinegar to make it acidic, or sometimes you're adding in a bacteria. And that bacteria is going to make it acidic for you. Um, So that's caused by the bacteria feeding on the lactose in the milk and turning it into lactic acid. So um, that's kind of the second step of all cheese making recipes. And then you have it interacting with the enzymes in that little calf stomach so that's the addition of rennet and so rennet is kind of a catch-all phrase for a bunch of different enzymes that um, change the way that milk or that the proteins in the milk are able to stay suspended and um, cause it to actually coagulate and then after that everything gets different with cheese making different cheeses you'll have um you're, you're going to be doing different things but that's basically how all cheese is made just at the beginning gotcha yeah. <laughs> Definitely sounds complicated. Yeah, it's but- not, though. But it, you just yeah. always have to bring back. Okay. This is what naturally is supposed to happen. It's supposed right. to come together. It's supposed to go and have these things happen to it. Mm-hmm. So that's the like it can be as confusing or as easy as you want it to be. It can be as simple as putting milk on the stove and adding in some vinegar. And there you've got cheese, or it can be as complex as like, you're standing at that stove for hours, making a cheddar cheese, you know? Yeah. Um, so there's something for everyone in cheese making.
1: That's awesome. Um, one of my holdups is that I don't have a milk cow just yet. Um, in our, at our next property, we will, we're just like, just, just too small of a baker wise for a milk cow. Just, yeah. just, missed it. Uh, so anyways, um, so I would have to use store-bought milk. Um, yeah. Is that possible? I mean to just use store-bought milk, would it be worth it? And what kind of, is there a certain kind of milk I should buy over, you know, another kind of milk if I want to make cheese? Yeah, for sure. So um, definitely
2: people make um, cheese with store-bought milk all the time. Um, There is a couple of things that you want to keep in mind. So like in my opinion, and that's like my, like... That's totally my opinion. Um, I think that raw milk is best for cheese making. Um, But some people will say, nope, pasteurized milk is best for cheese making. So the takeaway from that is that they all work. Um, What can't be made into cheese is ultra pasteurized milk. So if you're going to be making cheese at home, make sure you're not using ultra pasteurized milk. Um, Freshest milk is always the best. So I think I hear a lot from people like, isn't if you just like let your milk get old in the fridge, doesn't that turn to cheese? And that's exactly right. It does turn to cheese. But you as a cheesemaker want to start with the most blank slate that you can so you can turn it into what you want. Mm -hmm. If you use old milk, then it's already on its way to becoming cheese and you haven't had a chance to come in there and kind of start your interventions to make it into what you want. So freshest milk is always best. Um, If you are using pasteurized milk, because it's gone through that pasteurization process, it's actually damaged the milk a little bit. Um, So you're going to be needing to add back in um, calcium. So calcium chloride is something that's used in pasteurized milk cheeses. And um, that's just going to be acting as the glue to glue your proteins together in there because there's not enough calcium or or the calcium is damaged in that milk and it's not as intact. Um, So those are kind of the big, like the big three things, like don't use ultra pasteurized milk. If you're using pasteurized, make sure you're adding calcium chloride and use the freshest milk possible. Gotcha. Okay, great. Oh, and then sorry, and then uh, to add on to that. So yes, you can make cheese with store bought milk, but it can get expensive because, like for example, like my cheddar recipe takes six gallons of milk. So if you're trying to find milk that, um, that's like buy six gallons of milk just to make into cheese, and you're like, I don't even know how it's going to turn out. It kind of gets expensive. So I recommend to everyone that's using store bought milk to start with like smaller cheeses like feta's or like brie um, cheeses that like are going to be littler that like you're not maybe going to sit down
1: and eat like with cheese and crackers, but you might just be sprinkling on things. <laughs> right. Well, that's yeah. a good tip. Um, Cause that was kind of what I was looking at a little bit. was like, I don't know how to balance the price per milk to what I'm actually going to produce. Yeah, this, So fat is a
2: great one. Yeah. yeah. And I okay. also forgot in there too. Um, yeah. Homogenized milk will work for cheese making, but it doesn't work as well. So if you can find milk that will still cream line. So, um, that works like much better at getting a good, strong curd.
1: Okay, perfect. Yeah. When I was looking into cheese making, I got very um, caught up on rennets and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I guess I was just kind of curious, like, cause there's stuff you can buy, right? I mm-hmm. mean, that's what I would, I guess we, I per- would purchase it. What, what would you, do, what did they do back in the day for rennet? Do you know what I mean? Like what kind of stuff did they do when they were buying stuff like cultures and rennets? Yeah,
2: so I kind of went into the summer with um because there's natural rennet. So I yeah. kind of went in the summer with um into the summer with uh goal of um harvesting as much of my own natural rennet as I could and it didn't work out. It's a whole long story. But basically you can have rennet that comes from the lining of um that little calf stomach, like I was talking about before. Um so that's called chymosin rennet. And it's um you actually have to harvest the calf to have that stomach. It has yeah. to be like when the calf is like about two weeks is kind of the mm-hmm. ideal time to harvest it. Um, it has mm-hmm. to be from a healthy calf. So you can't just have like a calf yeah. that died and harvest it. So I wasn't planning on harvesting calf rennet, but you can actually have rennet that's um, coming from like vegetables or like foraging.
1: Yeah. Oh, I've seen so, that,
2: yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so like thistles or sorrel. Um, they say that nettle is, but I don't I don't know. I haven't, I'm not 100% convinced on nettle yet. Um, anyway, so those... Um, like vegetables also have a coagulating enzyme in it. It's different than the chymosin, but it coagulates milk. Um, there's even like accounts of, I think it was in Britain, where they would add black snails into their milk and it, they had a coagulating enzyme in it. So there's quite a few different things around the world that have um, a, an enzyme in it that will coagulate milk. Um, so when I came went into the summer with the idea that I was going to forage as much, Run it as I could. I tried using nettle. Um, I almost like paralyzed my family. I I thought that I had this um this nettle around me that was nettle, but apparently it's a false nettle that everyone calls nettle, and it oh. can actually cause paralysis. So oh long no. didn't coagulate, we didn't eat the, the nettle. Yeah. Um, and then I tried it with thistle this summer too, and I failed at that. So it's still yeah. a work in progress, but yeah. there is like I think it's so beneficial to know the natural sources. Um, it's mm-hmm. just like an, a, a preparedness thing. Like, what happens if you couldn't get rennet? How would you preserve your well, milk? You know, yeah, yeah. And that's you also don't need rennet to make some cheeses. You can just make it with culture, or you can make it, like I said, with vinegar just on the stove. Um, you know, okay. you're not going to get that nice, really solid curd like you
1: do when you get rennet, but mm-hmm. um, you do get a curd. So that's so cool. You had mentioned there's like a there's a process that it goes through. And then it's where you kind of split off and kind of determine what cheese you wanna make or something like that. What, yeah. I guess, like, so what is the difference between like a cheddar or a Gouda? Like what makes one the other?
2: Yeah, so um it has a lot to do with the cheese making technique. So where I said split off. Um, mm-hmm. so when you're splitting off and going off and veering off on all these things, what you've got there is you've got a curd mass in your pot. So that's completely coagulated. When you opened it up, it looks like um, I don't know if you know what junk it is, or it's it's just like a coagulated like yogurt almost, um, what you've got in your pot. So what you're going to do to that mass is cut it into curds. And what you do with those curds is going to determine the flavor of your cheese, the texture of your cheese, um, like the elasticity of your cheese. Um, how that bacteria is gonna feed, all of these different things. So you're gonna notice in different cheese recipes, so for say like a cheddar, you stir those curds for a while and then they're going through something called a cheddaring process. And this is making it that drier type cheese. It's helping with the acidity um, to move along the line a little farther than say a Gouda, where it's going through a different process called washing. So there's all these different things that you're doing to the curds um, to make them into different cheeses. And then that's just kind of the first part about it because cheese has basically two um, cycles of fermentation. The first cycle happens in that first like cheese making time and in that first 24 hours, and that's the bacterial fermentation. The second fermentation happens during aging. And so that's the fungal fermentation where um, like fungus is starting to help it age, where um, like amino acid chains are starting to break down. There's this whole other like very complex element to it. Um, but so that also has like a huge, um, effect on how you're going to have a different cheese. And then there's also like, um, like terror, like where the milk is from, what bacterias are native to the area, you know, all those things are also going to come in and, um, affect
1: the cheese too. Wow. So what's your favorite kind of cheese to make?
2: Oh, that's a hard one. I think brie, (laughs) I love brie. We eat a lot of, and I think, um, like brie is, it seems like such a complex cheese. Like people are like, "Oh, that's like like high high level," but it's actually fancy like a cheese. <laughs> it's pretty. Oh, yeah. Even, yeah. So um yeah, I like brie because it's quick to make, and yeah. then um, my family really likes like colby and cheddars. Um, any kind of I mean, we've got three kids; they're um nine and under, and they mm-hmm. just want to eat like regular cheese that you would buy at the grocery store. You know, they yeah. they don't want anything too fancy. They'll eat brie, but I probably if
1: I put a blue cheese in front of them, they wouldn't want to eat it. So Um, yeah, just regular (laughs) cheeses. (laughs) Uh, So one of the reasons I really love your Instagram is that you kind of show how you experiment with milk and cheese. You know, you kind of just do a bunch of different things and you document it. And I I really think that's interesting in trying to figure out how how it decomposes and breaks down. So can you talk like a little bit about how you deal with your cheese mistakes and some of that kind of stuff?
2: Uh, milk, milk is like an amazing food. Like it constantly surprises me. You think after like eight years of making cheese, you know, I would have like more of an idea of what the heck's going to happen, but right. like, I always am surprised by certain things. And it, um, I think that it's like, I've made a lot of mistakes in the last eight years and, At the time, they're always like frustrating. and You're like, oh, darn, like I just wasted three hours making this or whatever. But like they've helped me learn a lot. And um, every time you make a mistake, you're like you're starting to ask more questions and you're starting to look more things up. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just really helps you to become a better cheese maker. Um, yeah. And I like doing experiments. I think it's fun to just like see what this milk is going to do right now. Yeah, Or like you're in a certain la- stage of lactation and it's acting differently, like things like that. Um, yeah, it's just a food that I know that the day that I die, if I dive like 60 years from now, I will still have so much more to learn about
1: it. So, right. Do you, yeah. you probably don't still get like grossed out by like bad milk or
2: anything. no, no, not really. No. But I do like, I have a high standard for my cheese. I don't like to eat yeah. Like if it doesn't taste good, I don't eat it, and that's um, yeah, that's a common thing with people that are starting to make cheese. They're like, well, you know, it should taste like like homemade cheese. Like it's okay if it tastes bad, but it's actually it's not okay if it tastes bad. Yeah. Um, if it tastes bad, then something needs to be changed. It's not necessarily harmful for you or anything, but it's not it's not fun if it doesn't taste good or if your family won't eat it. And that's the whole thing about it. You want it to be fun. You want it to taste good. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think that. Uh, if you kind of go into it with, I'm going to make really good cheese and I'm going to learn from my mistakes, then,
1: then that puts you ahead. Yeah. That's really cool. Um, so what other kind of dairies or what other kind of dairy, first of all, let me ask you, do you make all your own cheese from this? like what percentage of your home that you consume is actually homemade? Would you say your dairy?
2: Um, so all of our own cheese, especially since I started cheese from scratch. Um, but I would say for the last five years, all of our own cheese, um, I've made. And then, um, as far as like other dairy products and go and everything go with the exception of butter, everything else we make, um, butter, sometimes I just don't have the cream line for it. It takes a
1: lot of cream and I make
2: a lot of cheese. So, and I like to keep that fat into the cheese. So, um,
1: I sometimes don't make the butter. <laughs> you kind of have to like pick and choose what you're like. If you have milk, you kind of have to pick and choose what you're you're going to make.
2: Yeah, exactly. Especially like um, certain stages of lactation and stuff. You're going to have, I have a Jersey cow, so she has a nice cream line anyways. Um, but you're going to have less cream at certain times. Like right now she's dry. Um, so we're going to be having, we're just finishing up the last of the milk and she's going to have in a couple of months here. Um, so we're going to have to buy like store-bought milk for a couple months here until she calves, but we've got all the cheese. And that's the thing about making cheese is that um, you're pre- basically preserving your milk for when you don't have, when you don't fresh. have the fresh stuff. So that's traditionally cheese making
1: was used for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I just have to pick your brain. Cause this is so amazing to me. Whenever I talk to someone that has, that manages like their homestead with the cows and then manages the food that comes from it and has, you know, I just think it's so amazing because it takes so much management and organization. How do you do that? Cause you're just talking about how your, you know, your, your cows dried up and, and how you plan on when you're going to calve it. And then how you plan on how you're going to use the milk. And can you just kind of tell me how it works for you, what it looks yeah. like? So as far as like cheese making
2: goes and fitting cheese making into your life and stuff, um, like cheese making takes up a huge portion of your day. So I typically, I try to make cheese, um, when my cow is freshened. So like in the spring, if she's going to calve, um, like late winter, early spring kind of thing, that's going to be the time when I'm going to start making cheese mm-hmm. and I'm going to make cheese really solid for like three months, like every couple of days, I'm going to be making cheese, um, I just like plan for that. And mm-hmm. I don't like very often experiment with a bunch of different cheeses. I make the ones that I'm used to. I make like cheddars and Colby's and Gouda's, you know, the ones that I make often. Um, and then I don't have to think about, it's kind of like if you have a weeknight recipe, like on a fr- or on a Wednesday night, you're not going to look up a new recipe and trying to do every single like step of that. It would just be way right. too confusing. You're going to do the recipes that you know that you make every day that you don't have to really look at the recipe for. So that's what I do, um, in the spring and just like hit cheese making really hard, try and make those cheeses that are going to age a long time. Um, and then for the rest of the year, after I have like three months of solid cheese making, I make cheese here and there. Like I'll make brie mm-hmm. every, probably every week or, every, or so like that I'm not making, like, it's not a big cheese making time for me. So that's one way that I fit it into the homestead. Um mm-hmm. it's just yeah trying to kind of clump it. It's kind of like if it's canning season, you know, you're really yeah. you got the canning pot on there,
1: you're like I was like, going to say. Kind of hard. <laughs> it kind of is just like seasonal, just like anything else on the homestead.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. That's- like do it while yeah. you've got the milk, do it while your cows in a good lactation. Mm-hmm. Um it gets harder to make cheese as she gets farther into lactation. Um things like that. So yeah, it's just a if you can store up enough, then you're good to go.
1: That's really cool. I love how, I love talking to people about how they manage everything because it really I, at least for me, I don't have a like I don't have a dairy cow, but I can just imagine once I do get one, how much time it's gonna take me to just like set in the rhythms of it, you know, to even make it work. So I love talking and to people about like that.
2: dairy cows, like a whole different thing, like fitting that <laughs> into your life and milking twice a day and things like I'm that. Sure. Um yeah, it just takes practice. It just takes coming into it and knowing that it's gonna be hard. And then just accepting that and it will get easier. That's
1: right. That's so cool. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. So um, I always ask this people, uh, always ask my guests this question. So what kind of homesteading skills, obviously you got the cheese down. What other kind of homesteading skills are you learning right now? Oh, so um, I had chickens.
2: I, I've, we've had chickens like um, for quite some time, but we've taken a chicken break for about three years now since, um, our chickens died. So I just got some Icelandic chicks, um, in the summer here. And, um, I'm hoping that they're like, they're a hardier breed, um, everything like that. Like, I'm hoping that they will not die, that predators won't get them, that they can kind of just like be feral and everything like that. So I'm almost like relearning chickens. Like it was kind of funny because when we had chickens in the past, like I didn't really pay too much attention I was like oh they're you know they're just chickens they do their thing but now I've like finding myself like researching like how to tell which ones are roosters and which ones are, yeah. <laughs> are uh <laughs> hens and like just like researching a bunch of these are like my fancy chickens so I feel like I'm I'm rediving into chickens right now
1: it's my yeah. I'm doing on the homestead and that's cool I think there's all I mean I, I think there's always new stuff we're learning or trying to figure out so I'd like to hear even seasoned homesteaders what it is new that they're they're trying to learn exactly there's so much to learn I just find the whole thing very interesting um and I I guess because I haven't really jumped in to it like actually doing it it just seems complicated so I think this is very helpful to kind of clear the air and make it simplified for people yeah. that are interested. I think it's
2: good too just
1: to like jump in and like pick
2: one recipe, like say you're going to pick feta and you go and you get all the ingredients to do that feta. And then you just spend a morning, like, this is what I'm doing. I'm just going to do that. And then you're going to feel so much more confident when you go on to a new, a new recipe, because you yeah. basically get all the steps when you go through a recipe. Um It doesn't, I don't think it pays to like do a bunch of research and stuff
1: before. I think you just got to jump in and do it. That's kind of how I do everything. And yeah. it's- sometimes pays off and sometimes you know takes a little longer but it's okay so. yeah <laughs> no I'm like well that. thank you so much for joining me it's been so um informative and helpful and i definitely think people need to go and check you out on instagram because you just i love your content it's, it's so much fun and you're very thorough and detailed with it so thanks again for joining me ah oh, thank you so much for having me i love yeah like i said i love podcasts yeah. where um is there anywhere else that my audience can find you other than yeah
2: instagram. Uh, um so instagram is like my main kind of where i um i am most active but i do have a website um i have a monthly membership it's called the milkmaid society um it's for um basically it's like a monthly membership for milkmaids anything you would ever want to know about being a milkmaid about like animal husbandry about cheese making all of that kind of stuff um is it's a growing resource for that and then I also have a cheese making course on there as well. And a blog where I've occasionally, like very occasionally put a post on there. But um, yeah, so cheese, make, uh, cheese from scratch.com
0: awesome. is my website. All right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Simple Living Made Simple podcast. I have a brand new guide out that is just perfect for this time of year. The Ultimate Fruit and Vegetable Seasonal Guide is now available and you can grab it for free at www.savemyveggies.com. If you are like me, you have thrown away produce that you just never got a chance to use. I used to do this all the time. Especially this time of year, as my harvest starts coming in, it can be difficult to properly store everything and make sure I either preserve it in time or use it up. That's why I created this guide. This guide has everything you need to stop wasting fruits and vegetables that you either grow yourself or purchase at the store. Learn how to properly store 25 plus fruits and vegetables to help them stay fresher longer. This guide also includes a month by month seasonal timeline so you know when to stock up on inexpensive and high quality fruits and vegetables to save you time and money. Again, you can grab that free guide at www.savemyveggies.com. As always, if you have any questions, want gardening advice, or have a topic suggestion for the podcast, please email me at info at winginonthehomestead.com.